Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. John 129, he says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the lamb, or here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I've been telling you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Now, let me pause for just a second. John is the cousin of Jesus. John to be is the cousin of Jesus. John the Bee was born first, all right? And so here's what John the Bee just said. All right, he existed far greater before I was even here. He was, all right? So here's this claim of deity that John's already laying out uh, in this text in verse 31. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me about him. The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, God bless him, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that, that this is the Son of God. Don't you love children? Amen. Um, some of you are like, no, I don't actually. I'm glad I'm out of that stage in my life. So here's, here's what I uh, learned, speaking of children. Here's what I've learned about uh, those little jokers. Uh, if you try to tell them something ahead of an event that's about to take place, so, so let me frame it like this. If I tell my kids we're about to do something fun, but there's going to be like a lot of time that's going to take place until said fun activity is going to take place, I have set myself up for failure. And here's why. The demonic spirit of nagging is going to fall upon your children, and it's not going to kill them. It's going to kill you as the parent because you're going to be like, why did I even tell you we're doing this? All right, so like we, you know, this, this happens all the time. Uh, well, not all the time because we don't do amazing things all the time in my house. Uh, but when we do, you know, we like to tell them ahead of time. I don't know why. I still haven't figured out why I do that. And the spirit of nagging comes upon them. So it, it's, it's about this, this anticipation and expectation that's created in their soul that's just driving them crazy, just driving them bananas. And I got to say, like, I'm the same way. It seems like I, the older I get, I thought I wouldn't be like that, but I hate surprises. Like, if you tell me something's going to happen, like, in a year from now, dude, I just want to slap you in the face because I need to know, like, I want that experience to happen now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like we've been planning to go on vacation, and we got a plan uh, ahead of time because, uh, you know, we got to save money. And, and so we, we plan ahead of time. And, like, it's almost like, when is it going to be here? Like, I've got to get out. I need to go experience God's creation somewhere else. Somebody almost caught the spirit over there. Is that right? <laughs> Praise break is happening over here on my left. It's like, like, we, like, it's just this anticipation 
that's building inside of you that's about to just crush you, right? Like some of you are like expecting something great to happen in your life, and it's just like you can't take it anymore. Like you need that to happen right now. This is what's happening with these Jewish people, except they're not waiting for a week. They haven't been waiting for a month. They haven't been waiting for a year. They've been waiting for thousands of years for this anticipated event to take place. And here is John the Baptist finally letting the cat out of the bag and saying, he's here. Like what we have been waiting for, anticipating and longing for in our soul, he's finally here. Amen. So here's John the bee. He's like, you know, and Jesus' cousin, he's like, there, there he is. Here's the Lamb of God who has come to rid the world of the oppression of sins. He's finally here. Now, in our context, when we hear something like the Lamb of God, uh, maybe some of us just don't really understand the full context of that, and that doesn't excite you. Like, here's the Lamb. Uh, what? You know? Uh, here's the Lamb chops we're going to throw on the grill. Amen? Now, if that's you, call me, because I'll help you with that, all right? But the lamb, like for them, had such a deep significance for them. I mean, in, in, in Exodus chapter 29, you had the lamb that was slain in the morning for the sacrifices of men and women, and the lamb that was slain in the evening. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, Christ is described as our suffering servant, as the lamb that was led out to the slaughter. In Revelation chapter 5, you get this pretty awesome and terrifying at the same time worship song about to him who is uh, on the throne and unto the lamb. And then it goes into like some kind of beast fell down. It, was, it gets really weird. How would you like to write a song about a beast and sing about it? Let's sing this line one more time. And the beast fall. That's just kind of weird. You wouldn't say that. But here in heaven, they're singing about it. Because the lamb has come. This slaughtered lamb has come to slay the beast. Amen. Amen. And so they, they, they understand like how important it is to have this uh, imagery of the lamb. So when John the Baptist is talking about a lamb, they got it. Because the lamb, John's like, and the lamb just so happens not to be a lamb. The lamb is a man. The lamb is Jesus. And so he's pointing them back to this. And so they would, they would completely understand uh, what is going on here with this uh, lamb. And so John's like, and so here he is. Behold him. Behold the lamb who has come to rid you of your sins. Now, this is important. Uh, and, I, and I thought this was interesting when I was reading this, uh, when the text said, uh, Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I don't know if John's like looking back uh, as, as he's writing this and, and thinking uh, Jesus had already done this, or, or maybe he's just like, uh, there's this weird grammar going on that John's proclaiming Jesus, the lamb who is taking the sins of the world before Jesus died. Isn't that interesting? So, so John's here like, here he is, guys. He is here to crush and rid us of the oppression of sin. That which was broken, 
Jesus Christ is coming to make it right. That which was broken in Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into our world, here's the Lamb of God to take it away, to take away those sins. So some of us, we, you know, this may be just kind of milk to us uh, when you talk about this, but this is incredible because John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus and saying, listen, he's here. He's the one that can take away your sins. This can't be done by any of your efforts. Like you don't even have the currency to afford yourself the right to atone for your own sins. And there's no such currency. Like here, so the good news is that here is Jesus, the one who can do what you cannot do for yourself. Amen. And this is incredible news for us. Now, a lot of us, we think about the sin and we think, well, I'm a good person, right? I don't really sin. <laughs> we are at refuge, so probably none of you are actually thinking that. You're like, bro, I was sinning this morning. What you talking about? <laughs> You get on that highway and driving in this God-chosen town, (laughs) sin will enter your heart very quickly. Right? (laughs) Now, if Willie's driving, we're all dead. Some of us think, now let me just kind of, let me say this about sin so that we all kind of have a, a clear understanding about sin is. It, you don't sin and that makes you a sinful person. All right, so here's just a little theology for us this morning. You are a, you are born into it. And you're a sinner. Okay. Now that, that's actually really good news. All right, so before you get caught up in a theological toilet drain of a nuance here, just hear me out for a second. I mean, David wrote in Psalm 51, I was born into my sin. Romans chapter 5 would say that just because of the sin of Adam, we have this nature. So we are, by default, sinners. All right, that's just who we are. And here's why this is incredible. Because in order for you to have a right understanding, and in order for you to behold Jesus for who he really is, you got to behold yourself for who you really are. Because if you're thinking you some high and mighty person, that I've got this and I can, I can do this by myself with my own works, then you're going to be looking at Jesus like he is a less than. But when I've got my eyes locked and gazed on Jesus, I realize how terrible of a person I am. And that's, really, that's good news. And here's why this is good news. Because that removes the weight off of you. So that means I don't have to work towards my righteousness towards God. So I don't have to work towards uh, how God views me. I can't. Jesus did. I am a sinner. Christ loved me and died. I am worthless, but Christ calls me worthy in his sight. So you've got to have a right view. I'm a sinner, 
Christ became, who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. So you view yourself rightly before you can behold the Lamb for who he really is. And I just think it's so fascinating here. Here's John the Baptist. His ministry is exploding. I mean, there are people from all over the region who are coming to hear. I mean, this is, this is what we would call today like a revival exploding in the wilderness. I mean, people from all over are coming to hear this guy. And the fascinating thing is that his message was just simple. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. That was it. Behold the Lamb who is here to remove the oppressive sin away from you. Behold the Lamb. Now, I wonder how many of us, and I may have mentioned, I touched on this last week a little bit, how many of us would ascribe to that power? I mean, if, if the focus was on you, you are... I mean, people are coming out, and they're wanting to know about you, like the spotlight's on you, like you are the point of everything, and you're feeling really good about yourself. How many of you would just, at that moment of power and significance, would say, wait a minute, it's not me, it's Christ? How many of us really would just dig into our souls and ask that question, right? Because, I mean, that's going to make us feel good. Oh, I matter. Oh, I feel so good. People like me? Oh, that's nice. People stroking my ego? Oh, that feels great. Like, make my head a little bigger. I like it. Come on. But not John. For as many as people are coming out to hear this guy, he's like, I don't know why y'all listen to me. Y'all look at him. Y'all look at Christ. Look at Jesus. Look to him. Now, here's what I want to just kind of lay out before us in our time. And I just want to ask the question, like, how do we as followers of Christ, how do we behold the Lamb? All right? Just simple. Like, how do we behold the Lamb? And, I, and I'm just going to be real quick with you, and, um, and I'll be out y'all's way. Here's, here's the first thing. Like, what does it mean to behold the Lamb of God? Well, it's pretty obvious uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, uh, Hebrews says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So when you're beholding Jesus, you're looking at him, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're actually looking at Christ. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, how the Greek would translate this is that uh, in order for you to look to Jesus, you have to actually look away from something, so as you're beholding the lamb, you're actually having to not behold what's around you. In other words, like in order for you to look to Jesus, you got to stop looking everywhere else. Stop focusing on uh, the things around you and focus on Christ. It's this continued action that you have to set into your soul, into your heart. Look at Jesus. Don't look at how crappy my situation is. Don't focus on uh, the failures that are around me or the failures that I've caused in my own life. Focus on Jesus. Don't look at how chaotic things may be around you. Focus on Jesus. Don't look at your own self. Look at Jesus. 
So it's this continued action. So when John here is saying, behold the lamb, it's as if he is looking. Like this is what the text says. He is gazing his eyes. He sees, he literally sees Jesus and he says, behold the lamb. He is looking at Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon about beholding the lamb, he says, suppose that you were in a crowd of people And it's in the evening and the stars begin to come up in the sky and you just sit there and you stay fixed in, fixed on that one star that's up. And suppose you're in a crowd of people. Imagine for a moment, those crowd of people, they're going to think that that you're crazy. Right? I mean, I would. I'd be like, maybe maybe he's not crazy because I'm crazy too. And I'd start staring at it too because that's what would happen. People going to be like, what is this fool looking at? So what are they going to do? Now, this is Matthew's paraphrase. I did not say this as eloquently as Charles Spurgeon would have said. Right? This is like he's much greater speaker than I was. I will be. And so he's, he says, just imagine that you're in a crowd and you're staring at something upward. And how everybody else is going to be attuned to, what is this guy looking at? And they start looking at it too. Suppose that's what your life is supposed to be doing. Because the more you behold the lamb, the more you will begin to look like the lamb. Not, you won't become the lamb. All right, that's a false theology, right? But you will become like the lamb. So the more I have my eyes fixed on Christ, the more I behold him for who he really is, more my life begin to look like him. As I behold the lamb, and here it is, then others will start looking at what I'm looking at. So we behold the lamb by just simply looking at Jesus, looking at his life. One of the other fascinating things about what John is doing here is that there is this, uh, I mean, he is verbally communicating to people Behold the lamb. So what it also looks like to behold the lamb is you're proclaiming about the lamb of God. Like you are verbally proclaiming about the lamb of God. Let me say this one more time so we get this in our souls. You are verbally proclaiming the lamb of God. Doesn't mean you got to be a scholar. Doesn't mean you got to be a pastor. You are verbally proclaiming what Christ has done for you and who he really is. It's it's the old terrible phrase that we've all heard. I think I've said this a million times. I'll say this until I die. Stop saying this. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Yes, act like you got some sense, all right? Yes, please, okay? Ain't nobody got time for your foolishness. Here's my point. There's a lot of good people that I know who are not followers of Christ who do good things. Right? I mean, I know a lot of people, and I'm not hating on them. They're atheists. I, I know many Mormons. I know many other people who are 
from different religions, they are really great people. <laughs> so here's that works-based thing again, right? So it's not my works that have made me righteous before the Lord. It's what he's already done. So I'm going to proclaim with my mouth that. I'm going to open up my mouth and proclaim the word of God. Like this is the call that we have. So when we're beholding, John the Baptist is beholding the lamb and he's proclaiming about it. He's shouting about it. He's like, look at Jesus. Follow him. Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus. He's the point. I'm not the point. You're not the point. There's a fabulous Mother's Day present for you. It's not about you. That's what John the B is ultimately saying here. He's like, listen, it's not about me. It's not about you. Look at Jesus. And he's doing that verbally with his mouth. How do you behold the Lamb of God? Then you open up your mouth, proclaim the good news of Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. It, just, just to make this really easy for you, because I, I don't want to never assume that we all know how to do this, uh, because I think sometimes when we start talking about proclamation of the word, uh, we label this as like evangelism, okay? That's, that's how we've kind of labeled this in, in the church. And I think sometimes evangelism, it gets a really bad rap, you know, start looking like Ned Flanders from uh, The Simpsons, right? All right, a little shout out to The Simpsons. Okay, they just celebrated 30 years, all right? Uh, anyway, uh, don't watch The Simpsons. It's a terrible show. Ned Flanders, the overly self-righteous guy on there, and so you end up looking like him. And I think sometimes we have this mindset that evangelism looks like that, where we're annoying, we want to debate people. Have you ever won anybody over to Christ by debating them? <laughs> we got a lot of debaters, y'all, all right? And I'm not saying we. I'm just saying like the church. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, I'd log on to, to Satan book, Facebook, you know what I'm talking about? And like there's so many people just debating, debating, debating. And I just want to go in there and like, bro, like are you really going to win this person over to the Lord? I, I get this a lot too. Um, over Easter, it seems like every Easter I get that one person who's like, oh, you're celebrating Easter. The goddess Easter is coming, and you celebrate them. And I'm like, okay. So here's what I do. <laughs> I don't debate the person. I private message because I'm not going to allow other people to see what I'm about to tell these jokers. It, uh, that came out really strong, but it's really good stuff when I, when I write these people. I will try to engage the person privately because I think that if I could win this person over to the Lord, then that's a big game. Okay. If I ignore these people, then what, you know, like that doesn't help the situation. So, so I'm going to engage that person with love, with humility, and here's what I will not do. I will not enter into what they want me to enter into, and that's a debate. Number one, I'll make them look foolish. 
number, and, and I say that with all humility. That wasn't humble at all. That was like very <laughs> egotistical, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could, I could shut down the argument, but that's not what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. I'm not trying to accomplish, like, look how smart I am. Yeah, I'm not trying to accomplish, like, look, I, I believe this, and here's, you must believe this. I'm not trying to accomplish that. I'm trying to go after their soul, man. So evangelism isn't like we don't win people over by debating them. We don't. It doesn't mean necessarily that you got to go bang on people's doors, hand out tracts. I mean, you bang on people's doors these days, like it may not end up well for you. Okay. (laughs) Now, if you come banging on my doors, I'll welcome you in. We'll have that conversation. Okay. But I know, I know West Point. I know Hughley, okay? I know you Valley folks. Some of y'all's doors I ain't knocking on. Because I know some of them, we're crazy people around this town, right? <laughs> I got to move on, all right? And so, so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, let's, let's just normalize this thing here. Let's stop overcomplicating the proclamation of the word of God. Amen. Here's something incredible for you. And I know I may get some pushback on this. Here's how you could do it. You can actually invite them to church. That makes it so easy for you because that puts all the weight on me because here's what they're going to hear. They're going to hear the gospel of Christ proclaimed out of my mouth. Y'all, I got one message if you ain't noticed. I just kind of go through my notes. I just tweak them just a little bit every week. But it's the same thing. It's Christ. Here's, here's what I know, and I'm going to make up the statistics, but I think it's about right. 70% of you are here today because somebody verbally asked you. Wasn't because of our incredible marketing. I don't know why I'm so arrogant today. Y'all just pray for me. <laughs> I'm actually just trying to make myself feel better, okay? <laughs> That's all I'm doing. It's because someone invited you, all right? It's not rocket science. Behold the Lamb of God. Open up your mouth, church. Proclaim what Christ has done for you. Again, I just got to say this so that we all understand. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have the right accolades. You don't have to have uh, the right degrees to do this. What has Christ done for you? And you share that with someone. I think I've given this analogy before. Like, if, if you see someone who is in a house that's on fire and you've been rescued from that house, would you tell people about it? I mean, I would. And so I've got to tell people that I've been rescued from hell. I've been rescued into the loving arms of Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who is here to take away the sins of the world. And and here's the, the other thing that we can't miss is that we keep our life all about Christ. Here's John who has this amazing ministry going on. And I don't know if you catch this or not when you're reading through John chapter one, what is John doing? John is literally shutting down his ministry. You'll see in the next day, the text says right after uh, this phrase, John the Baptist again says, Jesus walked by him. John says, behold the lamb. And his two disciples leave him. 
<laughs> like, that's crazy. John the Baptist is like, I'm shutting this thing down because my life is centered. That's my whole life was just to tell about the Lamb of God. Like, he's shutting down all that he has been doing. He's like, what's the point? He's here. So take, your, take your focus off of me and put your focus on Christ. Like, at this point, John's like, I, I'm done trying to gather people into a wilderness. Why? He's here. So what does it mean to uh, behold the Lamb and to keep your life about Christ? Uh, and let me talk to parents because this is, this is vital for a lot of us who are young parents in this room. But I'm still trying to figure this thing out. It, it means, it just means that Christ is the center of your home. Now, parents, you who are beholding the Lamb of God in your home, what you are doing is you're cultivating an environment for yourself as a parent where you're more concerned about the heart of your child than you are the moral behavior of your child. Now, let me put a little, let me stop for a second. That does not mean that you don't create boundaries and set rules in your household. Moms and dads, listen to me carefully. Put those rules in place. Because children that don't have rules will burn your house down and burn the whole entire world down. I've seen your kids. I understand that without boundaries and rules, what they are capable of. I mean, I know my kids. Okay? Kids without boundaries and rules... saying they will, all right? I'm just saying you have created an environment in your home for them to flourish into who God has created that child to become. Not in who you want that child to become. Because if I'm more interested in their moral behavior, then I'm just trying to create my child into something that they perhaps may not be. How damaging that is for the like like think about this like so many of us parents we want our child to be so successfully financially abundantly uh, successful in in the world for what what they they gained the world but they lost their soul in the process but if I am trying to cultivate their heart if I'm more about their heart then I am going to be after them for who God has designed them to be, and I'm going to try to work at that. Like, here's what I know about my children. I know my oldest son, he's a little out there, but I know he has a heart for the Lord. And so I want to cultivate that in his heart. I'm not trying to make him some academically successful person so that he can go off and start a business and run the country. He wouldn't want that. 
No offense, bud. All right? I want him to be who God has designed him to be. Like, I know this about my daughter. Like, I want God to use her. I want her to be who God has designed her to be. I don't want what culture wants for her. All right? And so, parents, as we are beholding the Lamb of God in our homes, that's what this looks like, that we are after what God wants for our children. We're not after our desires for our children. All right, newsflash, your child will probably not be the next greatest athlete. All right? Y'all keep that stone in your pocket before you throw it at me. The statistics, they just don't add up in your kid's favor. They may not be a superstar. Okay? But what you can do as a parent is make sure you are cultivating an environment in your home where they are going to step into the calling and be who God has called them to be. That's what you can do. All right? So as we are beholding the Lamb as parents, and this works in all different types of ways. This works for marriages. When you're beholding the Lamb of God in your marriage, you're not trying to make your spouse something that they're not. When you're beholding God in your jobs, when you're beholding God in all aspects of your life, like what would it look like we as a church would behold the Lamb of God in all areas of our life? This was so fascinating to me because this Lamb of God, this beholding the Lamb of God was something that they had been waiting for for far too long. Here's John the Baptist, what most people would say was most likely, well, who was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Here's John the Baptist looking over to the crowd, and he sees Jesus walking up. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Because for a long, long time, thousands of years, it had not been the sins of the world. The, the, the sacrifice of a lamb. Genesis 22, Abraham takes his boy Isaac up to the mountain. He tells his servants, keep the donkey here. Me and my boy, we got some, some wood and a knife, and we're going up the mountain. Haven't quite understood that yet. You tell a teenager that, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. I got wood, knife, no lamb. Wait a minute, Dad, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> no, I'm not, son. It just looks really weird. <laughs> I'm waiting for that to be like a movie. They walk up the mountain, and right at the nick of time, there's a lamb right in the thistle of the bushes, and here was a lamb to atone for the sins of one person. In Exodus right as they were about to leave out after Pharaoh's heart had been hardened so many times, God's like, all right, I'm about to do something in their ignorance that will take you out of his captivity. He's going to be death angel to hover over Egypt. And how you escape the death angel? What? You, you took the lamb and you took the blood and you put it over the doorpost. This is where Passover 
comes. And so in this context, here's the Lamb of God for just a group of people. In Leviticus, you get the Lamb offering where it's for now a nation that had been born. Lamb of God for a man, Lamb of God for a family, Lamb of God for a nation. So here's why it's so significant, because no longer it's a lamb for just one person. No longer are we longing for a lamb for just a family. No longer we, we, we get to behold a lamb that was just for a specific nation. Now John comes in and breaks open the can of worms, and he's like, guys, it's not just the lamb of God for one individual. He's here for the sins of the entire world. John looks at him and he sees Jesus. He says, that's it. My ministry's done here, y'all. Because here's Christ. Here to do what he said he was going to do. Here to do what we have been prophesying about for hundreds of years. Behold, here's Christ. How will you behold the Lamb of God in your life? How will we behold the Lamb of God? Let's, let's pray. Father, help us. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Florida. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.